Hey, this is John from PureAndSimpleBible.com. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm so glad you're here, and I'm grateful for another opportunity to have a great Bible study conversation with a dear friend of mine, Bradley Ballard. Bradley is back from South Korea, where he and his wife Brandy are currently living and serving the Lord, working for the church there and helping to share the gospel in that area. Bradley is able to join me in studio, and uh, today we're going to talk about a Bible study that he's called Strangers for Christ, but not Strangers from Christ. So let's jump into that Bible study now. I'm here with Bradley Ballard, who is on a short trip back to the United States from his present work in Pohung, South Korea. Grateful for your presence, grateful for your friendship. Uh, Bradley and I go way back, all the way back, mm-hmm. maybe. So I'm thankful that you're actually in my studio. You've um, This is exciting. You've podcasted with me from afar using my phone to call you in Pohang. <laughs> but now you're with me in the studio, and I'm, I'm glad for your presence. So thank you, brother. Well, thank you. It's an honor to be here. And thank you for your work. Um, Bradley is currently serving in Pohang um, as a... Many people use the term ev- uh, missionary. He's just a preacher, an evangelist. He also works as an English tutor. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, teacher at a small academy. Okay, teacher at a small academy. Like Paul sewing tents, Bradley is figuratively sewing his tents so that he can uh, help meet people, help share the gospel in Pohung. So we're, uh, if you're listening to this, I want you to please pray for their work as he and Brandy uh, are on the front line sowing seed into the hearts of men in that place. Um, maybe I should allow you to say a word. Would you like to say a word about it just to... Absolutely. Go ahead. Yeah. The way that Brandy and I came to be a part of this work and be a part of the work in Cambodia with you guys um, was different than a lot of people. Many people have sought that life out. Right. Or I should say many of the ones who are in that life have sought that life out. Okay. And uh, we never did. We were asked to be companions in that by you guys initially. Mm -hmm. And then once we got back to the States and thought we were getting settled, uh, we had a congregation up in Oklahoma ask us to follow up on some leads that they had made in uh, this little town of Pohong, South Korea. And again, we never went looking for it, but it found us. And so we answered that call. And I think you and I have had this conversation before, maybe even in our podcast about, um, why we felt motivated to go and answer that call. Right. And, uh, so it's been a huge blessing to us, even though it wasn't anything we were looking for. But I think our our experience has been a testament to the fact that if you do your best to serve in whatever capacity you can, mm-hmm. uh, the Lord can find a way to use you or find a way that you're needed. And um, it's been, like I said, a huge blessing to get to be a part of that. And um, like you said, we covet any prayers that anyone will send up on our behalf. You, you you make a short list whenever you become a precision tool or a precision instrument for the Lord, right? Suddenly others are asking, hey, we need this in this area, and your <laughs> name comes up pretty quickly. Yeah. So when you've gone well, through it before. Yeah, and it's funny because I've already been, uh, I got a phone call a while back from a guy already asking me to move to another country. Oh my. <laughs> <laughs> Said, hey, when are you done? We want you over here. And uh, so it it strikes me that, you know, already uh, we're we're trying to find someone to be a companion in that work over there with us because we are. It's just my wife and I, 
Right. And, um, you know, we're trying our best, but we need someone there with us. And already we're being asked to, to go elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And so I'm struck by the, the incredible need that we have for people to do what we're doing. And um, uh, it's, it's a little, uh, I don't think sad is the word, but I'm just, I'm, I can't believe that we're the ones being asked when there's, uh, you know, we're committed and it's clear that there's, there's need in so many places. So right. I hope to encourage and motivate people to consider how they can um, be of some use in a capacity they never thought they'd be suited to, perhaps. Right, right. Uh, Paul said he was spent for the Lord. Maybe you feel similar to that, that you've been spent in ways that you didn't know or imagine that you would be serving? Uh, yeah, that's fair. Uh, <laughs> we, uh, you know, Paul lists out some of the things he endured for the sake of the gospel. Right. And though we've not endured a night and a day in the deep mm-hmm. or floggings or scourgings or anything like that or imprisonment, um, a lot of the things that we have endured, uh, you know, some of the isolation and loneliness we feel from time to time and some of the embarrassment and different frustrations, um, uh, those are definitely products of, you know, what we've, what we've gone to do. So, um, but they're all, I think they've made us stronger. All of those experiences have made us stronger and right. hopefully made us grow in our faith. Well, good. Brother, I'm excited for the potential of that work, and I hope that people will take your words to heart, especially out there, um, younger or older, whatever part of life you may be in. If you find that you can be spent, that you can be stretched, there are places that need you now. Absolutely. Pohung, South Korea, especially. Pray for them and pray for... Uh, people who are willing to go and serve with them there. So I'll, I'll plug you as I can. <laughs> We're going to have a Bible study this morning uh, from something you've called Strangers for Christ, but then in parentheses, but not strangers. And uh, so I guess I'm just going to ask the, the, the first question, what do you mean by that before we jump into these <laughs> scriptures? What does that title mean, Strangers for Christ, but not strangers? I think one thing I've found myself reflecting on a lot lately or focusing on a lot lately is the incredible balance that we find in life and Mm -hmm. especially in the Christian life and in God's word. And what I mean by that is you can, you can become very focused on one trait or one principle. And then when you really, really get into it, you find out that there's so much more involved with it. And it's all about not focusing just on one thing, but finding balance in our studies in our life and in everything. And so, um, one way, uh, another, I guess, thought I had just to demonstrate that is um, I had a study I was preparing called um, being childlike, but not childish. Ah, yes. Right. And uh, there's a way in which we're absolutely supposed to be like children. The Bible teaches that. That's not for this study, but it also tells us we're not supposed to be like children in certain ways. Okay. I think I know where you're going with this. And so I had that same sort of approach with this concept, or at least that same idea sort of crept into my head when I was looking at this idea of being strangers for Christ. And there's a very real way in which we are supposed to be different and strange mm-hmm. and peculiar mm-hmm. in the eyes of the world. Right. But we are not supposed to be strangers or foreign to Christ. Right. We should have a very close and very intimate relationship with Christ and his people and his word. But by doing that, we will make ourselves different and strange and unique from the world. Well, you have two scriptures here uh, that 
you use to begin the study. And I'd like to read one and you read the other. So okay. I've already preempted. I'm in Titus 2. Okay. And uh, you can read from First Peter 2. So if you're listening at home, uh, we're going to read these two Bible verses. And uh, so please pay special attention. They're, they're going to draw out uh, some lessons for us about being strangers for Christ. And I'll read first. And uh, I'm reading from a book called the Plain English Bible. That's the version that I'm reading from. It's uh, Titus 2, verse 14 says, He gave himself for us so that he could buy us back from every kind of sin. He wanted to make a nation clean for his very own, a nation eager to do good deeds. Bradley, will you read First Peter 2, verse 9, please? Yes, sir. <clears throat> but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Riley, what can I glean from these two verses? I'm seeing some connections, but I'd like to give you that opportunity to make them for me. It's hard to give that up as a preacher, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> it is. That's my role, you know. It's like, no, a, let me rephrase that then. No, it, I, you don't have to. It's It's the same thing as a teacher. You know what you're telling the first graders, and yet you ask them questions. Like, what do you think this means? <laughs> you could just tell them, but yeah, it's a shared process. Right, right. Okay. So, Bradley, help me understand uh, this connection in 1 Peter 2, 9 and Titus 2, 14. Well, in both places, we're reading about how Christ has paid for us, essentially. Right. And so there's a sense of ownership there where we belong to him by all rights, by all accounts. <laughs> He paid uh, more than he should have had to. Right. And not only do we belong to him, but he has made us special and exclusive. And I know exclusive is a word today that um, people, I think, think is kind of a negative thing because it, it excludes some. But what it does is it lifts up those who have been bought and paid for. Right. And, you know, the passage, for example, in First Peter uses words like holy and royal and special. Mm-hmm. And mm -hmm. those are incredible ways to describe anything. Right. I mean, if something is special to you and a royal or holy, um, those are not things to be taken lightly. Mm -hmm. And I think that means we should take our, uh, our part that we play in that very seriously. Well, we're not bought with silver or gold, as Peter says mm -hmm. earlier in the epistle. We're bought with the blood of Christ. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, the, I don't have an opinion on that idea of exclusive or it's not up to me it's up to jesus he's the one that said i i bought you with my blood you're mm -hmm. mine you are peculiar we had a sim we had a conversation with some friends recently uh who are not christians and and some of them had never even heard some of the things we were talking about mm. we were talking about creation in fact okay uh creation and then moved on to talking about the garden of eden and uh, the fact that adam and eve broke god's one rule and we were asking, do you think it's fair that they faced consequences for breaking that rule? And some of them said yes. Some of them said no. It was kind of this, uh, it was a difficult conclusion to find. Right. But then what I shared, my opinion was, was that the concept of fairness or the question of fairness is not even one you can really ask. Mm -hmm. Because you have to follow the rules of whoever's game you're playing. Right. And if we're playing Monopoly or if we're playing some other game... If someone commits an infraction against the rules, it's not about what you feel. It's about what the rules say. Right. And so uh, if you take that same approach in your life, or in our life as Christians at least, 
Um, it's not a, always about what we feel and think, but it's right. about what we're told. That's how God is just, because he's consistent. Mm-hmm. If he was inconsistent by taking away uh, somebody's responsibility to follow the rule, if we're mm-hmm. going to use that game analogy, that's that's not fair. Yeah. That's not consistent. It's mm-hmm. not just. But to make everybody... Um, accountable. Accountable to that standard, then, yeah. then that is fair and just. I just want to pause here. Um, we're in this in the middle of this Bible study on Strangers for Christ, but you brought up sharing the gospel with people who haven't heard it before, mm-hmm. specifically using Genesis 1 through 3. Isn't that a special type of Bible study? Absolutely. I, I absolutely <laughs> love sharing the gospel with people for the first time. Where we live in uh, the United States, obviously many people know the, the at least the story, mm-hmm. the narrative, uh, but there are... Um, millions, maybe billions of people around the world who have not heard it. Maybe they've only ever seen a crucifix or seen a film where mm-hmm. there's a, you know an actor portraying Jesus. But when you talk about Genesis 1 through 3, not the children's Bible version, but the way that God intended in the Scripture, isn't it wonderful to convict and show how wonderful God is and how low we've sunk? Mm-hmm. Well, and it's interesting, too, the fact that <laughs> when you're talking about creation— uh, in those early passages, that it is all just truly miraculous and incredible. Um, you have people that look at you and say, seriously? Like, you really believe that? Say, absolutely. <laughs> right. And we had some people say, oh, I th- I thought this was a children's story right. or something. It and, was a fairy tale. Yeah. And and uh, that's actually one thing on a list of things I have at the end of this study of, you know, it's uh, that is really strange to people when you say, no, right. no, this is real. Right. At least to me, it is. <laughs> right. That's a study for another day. Yeah. <laughs> we, <laughs> and I may not be the one to to lead that study. Maybe I'll I'll have some others come in to talk about it. But the uh, the true story of Genesis one through three, scientifically, etc. Mm. Let's get back into strangers for Christ. These scriptures: First Peter two, Titus two, his own special people. Um, when it talks about being a peculiar people. I think the King James may use that type of phrase. Special people, etc. We've talked about how Jesus bought us. That's what makes us special to him. Um, how, how can I be peculiar beyond obeying the gospel, beyond being baptized? What's it going to take for me to continue to, to, lit, to be that type of person? Is a better question maybe what's our motivation for being a peculiar people? I'm here, let me tell you what I'm trying to get at. I think some people use that verse as an excuse, like the peculiarity is the end, not the means oh. to an end, but it's the end. Well, I, I do have a point in here. I made a point about how, kind of like you said, it's not about just being different. Uh, you know, It's not being different for different sake. It's not about just trying to look different because um, I think some people kind of find their identity just in being different. Right. But our I the being different is a consequence or result of trying to make yourself more like Christ. It's not about just looking different, but it's realizing that you will look different when you try to make yourself look and act like Christ. I shouldn't want to be different for different sake. Mm-hmm. I'll also say this. Um, one of the reasons why we're different is because the world is opposed to Christ. Mm-hmm. I think about First John 2 and other places, maybe First John 1, the Gospel of John 1. Darkness does not understand the light, nor does mm-hmm. it want to. 
Absolutely. And so part of my uniqueness and difference in Christ is not because, um, you know, I'm going out there and, and, and actively seeking to be awkward around people or force a distinction between us, but rather because of the way that I live, the way I speak, the way I act, the way I dress, the way I um, interact with others, etc., all of those things, uh, the world does not like it. And so we can't help but be different because the world separates itself. Darkness separates itself from light. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to add anything to that? I think I can give an example of how we've seen that. Uh, you know, my relationship with Brandy is one where I feel like we have a very cooperative relationship. Uh, we both recognize what the Bible teaches about the role of a husband and the role of a wife. Right. Um, and how you, you know, we are intended to be a, a picture uh, or try to model ourselves after Christ and the church. Christ mm-hmm. gave himself for the church, but the church submits to him and obeys him. Right. And we try to emulate that in our lives. But at the same time, she's not my slave and I'm not her master mm-hmm. in, a, in a dominating sense. And there are a lot of ways where she's more talented than I am and I need her. <laughs> I need her help. I need her ideas. And... Um, so we try to demonstrate that and exercise that part of our relationship when we're around people that we're teaching and things. Uh-huh. And it has been really, really interesting. One of the groups we study with, uh, uh, teach English to, and you know, do some Bible work with, they are. Uh, it's it's become all women, and it's about seven women um, mm. that have children mm-hmm. and have their homes and everything. And uh, it, it, you know, I had thought it would be a little more mixed group, but it's become this kind of a women's group almost. And so I'm there with um, these seven women and my wife, and um, I try to lead those studies, uh, those English, you know, classes and things. But there are times when it's just good to let it kind of happen around me. Right. And um, they are the the point I'm trying to make from this is whenever Brand they see Brandy and I work together they recognize that that's different and strange in their culture. And I'm speaking specifically about the Korean culture. Uh, there, It's a hierarchical, uh, traditionally at least, like many places, okay. it's a hierarchical sort of culture. And even though the men and women seem to you know, they get along fine and there doesn't seem to be this um, hierarchy when you see people on the street, there are definite, definite expectations for what a man will do, how he will spend his time, right. what a woman will do, how she will spend her time. And those don't usually cross over a lot. Uh, even with raising kids, it seems like there's not a whole lot of crossover. Mm-hmm. And so when they see Brandy and I sitting down together and talking about the same things and discussing things, and especially the times that we've invited people to our home and they see me in there helping in the kitchen and the dishes, areas where in their culture and in their minds, that's where the women belong. Right. You know, when they see me doing that, that sets us apart in a way that, I didn't expect mm. necessarily would. And you, you're attributing that peculiarity to being a Christian husband and wife, not an American husband. Exactly. And wife, correct. Yeah. And we've done, they have been surprised by how we don't match what they expected to see in our relationship and the way we looked because they thought American couples or American families look like this or that. But you guys are even different from that. Uh huh. And we've tried to make that clear in our discussions with people when they say, so in America, la la la, you know, and they'll ask their question. In America, how do you? In America, what do you? Or do families in America do this or that? And a lot of times, our answers to those questions sound a lot like, 
Well, I can't tell you <laughs> what Americans do, or I can tell you what I've seen in many American homes. Right. But what we do looks like this, and it's because we're modeling it after what the Bible teaches, not just what mm-hmm. you know people around us mm-hmm. expect of us. We could go on a long, long tangent about how America uh, is not the standard for what a Christian home, a Christian, et cetera, may look like, because even though people... Um, look historically at where we come from, our our heritage, our Judeo-Christian heritage. Uh, no nation is a Christian nation, making all of its people Christian people. So mm-hmm. American, that's you know the question that I asked. Being an American family does not make you a peculiar people. Being a Christian family makes you mm-hmm. a peculiar people. And being a Christian family will make you peculiar wherever you are. Right. You know, and that's, uh, and being a, yeah, just modeling yourself after Christ makes you different from the world, and that means all the world. In the example of husband and wife, I've, uh, when I worked as a school teacher here in America and in a conservative state of Texas, I've even had people uh, who looked at us with raised eyebrows because of the way that we were living. I love my wife. My wife loves me. We respect one another. We want to live the Christian way, and that ideal still is peculiar. Yeah, that's strange wherever you go. Right. Good point. Um, you, you you make a point in your Bible study after reading these scriptures and meditating on uh, how we belong to Christ and our peculiarity comes from living for him in a world that is dark. Uh, you want to clarify, based on what I'm reading here, that you're not strangers from Christ, kind of like what we talked about maybe in the title. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm wondering if you can help me uh, differentiate being a stranger for Christ and, and, and not being a stranger from Christ. Sure. And this comes back to a point we were making earlier about not being different for different sake. Um, whenever we model ourselves like Christ, we're going to become closer to him. So it's a result of our understanding of his word and appreciating you know, our gratitude for the sacrifice he made for us and recognizing who he is. He is deity. He is God. But he also made himself even lower than the angels and mm-hmm. came down to to you know do what he could to give himself for the world and save all men and he did a great so, job didn't he <laughs> <laughs> just like being a, a stranger to the world or seeming strange to the world is a result of becoming close to Christ being close to Christ is is another result and that sounds redundant but it's it's just recognizing what will happen when you acquaint yourself with God's word and it also, I think, helps make this distinct, distinction between trying to be like Christ and just looking different. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. It reminds me of Matthew 12. I didn't think about this until you were you just brought that point out. You cannot be morally good and go to heaven without Christ. Mm-hmm. And here's what, the point that I'm tra- trying to make from Matthew 12. There's a, a parable of, of a, a man who's possessed by a demon and the, then the demon abandons him or leaves, is cast out, and it says that he, he uh, puts his house in order, right? And uh, he sweeps it and organizes it, et cetera, but he never fills it, right? And, and so Jesus is speaking to Pharisees at this time, and what he's trying to tell them is if you are morally good, but you don't fill yourself with God's presence, what's going to happen when the demon comes back? Well, in the little parable, it comes back with seven spirits that are more evil and wicked than itself and, and dwell, finds a place to dwell. Mm-hmm. And here's the point. 
people can go through life and they can be a good person. They cannot lie. They cannot steal. They can, you know, not cheat on their taxes, whatever. But if you're not, if you're a stranger from Christ, you know, you might be a stranger to uh, doing morally despicable things. But if you're also a stranger to Christ, then after this life, you're not going to be ready for judgment. We have to fill ourselves with him. We can't be a stranger from him. You're depending on yourself to do what someone has already done for you. Right. And I think about the times I've seen a little kid say, no, I do it myself. I do it myself. When it's already been done for them by their parents. <laughs> you have a couple of scriptures here uh, under this idea of we're not to be strangers from Christ. Uh, let's look at Ephesians 2. Help me understand um, how this is going to connect to the point. Yeah, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, the heading in my Bible set here really captures the sentiment that I, I, I brought from, or I got from this. It says, brought near by his blood. There's, a, there's this idea of closeness. So I'll just read it. It says, therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, that means not of God's original people, the Hebrew people that were God's chosen initially, now making us all you know, his chosen once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, mm-hmm. being aliens. Mm-hmm. And that idea of alien just means a foreigner or right. someone on the outside. Right. And so, uh, and then it goes on to say, aliens, that is, from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And he's painting, I'm going to read verse 13, but he's okay. painting a picture here, really a pretty desperate and bleak and hopeless right. situation. Right. No, I'm just saying far away. <laughs> far, yeah. they're, they're, I'm sorry. Nobody but me and Bradley can see that I'm, <laughs> I'm using my arm to swing to represent far away. Whoosh. <laughs> uh, but this concept of being on the outside, I mean, I, when I read this, I feel coldness. I feel fear. Right. I sense just all the, the despair and darkness that people feel when they're abandoned and alone. Mm-hmm. You know, I think about some of the, the situations I've seen where children are abandoned by their parents and the hopelessness they feel. Right. And that's what's happening here. And it's it happens to all of us when we put ourselves outside of, of, of God's love. Mm-hmm. So verse 13 says, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, have been brought near mm. by the blood of Christ. And it's both very specific, but it's also very general. And what I mean by that is as those who were far off, it doesn't matter if you were born far off or if you put yourself, if you ran away. Right. That story of the prodigal son that left of his own accord. Right. That person who has knowingly stepped outside of the care and the love and the protection that God offers mm-hmm. has the same opportunity as someone who never knew in the first place. And so the same hope that, uh, you know, that God offers to one, he extends to the other as well. Amen. That's a beautiful scripture, being far off and brought near. I love the language. We're not strangers from Christ. He's the one that brings us near. So just emphasizing that point again, you can't be saved without Christ being near in your life on a daily basis. Now, you also have John 10 written down in your notes on this concept that we're not to be strangers from Christ. So uh, what can we glean from John 10? Well, in John 10, there's another great image or picture, and uh, that's of a shepherd. 
Well, if you want to hear the rest of this Bible study, you're going to have to come back next week where Bradley and I will finish this great Bible conversation called Strangers for Christ. And until then, you can go to the website where you can look at some of the other podcasts that are available as well as videos and other resources for you to download and use absolutely free. Until next time, this is Jonathan Edwards. Always remember, God loves you very much, and I do too. Lord willing, see you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true, about a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man like me and you.